Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Thursday, March 4th. As the auto industry knows, one break in the supply chain and the entire business model faces enormous obstacles in meeting full production. During the early days of COVID, this was the largest concern. Could the supply base meet its obligations and produce every one of the 30,000 parts necessary for the industry to function correctly? Simply, could vehicles be built? Or would an earthquake, not COVID, throw it off completely again? Last month, that question was put to the test. Ten years ago, nearly to the week since the last major industry disruption, a 7.1 magnitude earthquake hit the coast of Japan. It was shades of the disruption caused not only in Asia Pacific, but around the world. Back in 2011, a massive earthquake off Japan's northeast Pacific coast triggered widespread power outages, shutting down trains, unleashing landslides, and sparking concern about tsunamis and radiation leaks from a nearby nuclear plant. In its wake, a critical Japanese semiconductor plant was thrown offline. A broken supply chain forced Japan's automakers to suspend production at plants across the country. That was March 11, 2011. And like an eerie flashback, The quake that struck last month on February 13th almost hit in the same place. The aftermath of this latest convulsion was a jolting reminder about just how fragile automotive supply chains remain, despite the best efforts to fortify them after the 2011 disaster. Back then, double sourcing, inventory stockpiling, and supplier transparency were urgent focal points of improvement as business continuity plans became the rage. The industry thought it would be better prepared for the next crisis. It was only half right. To tell that story and to talk about his upcoming piece on page one of Monday's Automotive News, we've reached Asia Bureau Chief Hans Greimel in Tokyo. Hans Greimel, it's always good to talk to you. How are you today? Uh, Very good. Um, Thanks for having me. Pleasure to talk with you. Let's um, start off. I want to discuss your page one story that um, will come out Monday. And it relates back to not only February 13th of this year, uh, with an earthquake that that hit uh, Japan, but it also harkens back to a time that I think many will remember in the industry, which is March eleventh, two thousand eleven. Paint us a picture of March eleventh, two thousand eleven, and then take us forward about <laughs> ten years, almost to the day, in in how the automotive supply chain was severely disrupted by what happened in Japan. It still looms large in the, the country's history. It was. The, you know, one of the worst natural disasters the country has ever faced. It uh, began on uh, around three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and um, suddenly the whole country was shaking. I mean, it was uh, even here in Tokyo. Uh, we thought that this was the big one, and um, it turned out not to be the big one, at least for us. Um, and uh, up north in the city of Sendai on the northeast coast of the, on the Pacific coast of Japan, um, was near the epicenter. And, um, before we knew it, the radios were saying that, you know, going to be slamming into the country's shore. And the nation watched on live TV 
as these tsunamis came crashing through hundreds of miles of of, uh, of shoreline of the coast. And of course, in the path of that tsunami was the uh, Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, and it was essentially flooded, knocked out of commission, and overheated and caused the meltdown of uh, three reactors. At the time, we didn't know exactly what the status of the plants was, but the severity of it became increasingly... um, We we came to know about it over the next days and weeks. And um, for the auto industry, I mean, it it shattered the supplier backbone here. There were a couple of key plants that were knocked out. Um, Of course, most famously, the Renaissance plant, uh, that made chips and um, it, it hammered the entire industry worldwide really for much of the year and we we look back at that and we think about the chips but it was an early warning about just how sensitive the auto industry is to these lower level suppliers that normally don't get paid much attention to because they are considered commodities they go into you know, there's hundreds of them in, in a car and they go into parts that we don't even, that the OEMs don't really pay attention to. And it showed the, the, uh, fragility of, of building a car just on that one tiny chip. And, uh, now we see, of course, where the whole industry is acutely aware of it because of the current, um, again, semiconductor chips global, globally. So when we talk about what happened just recently, there were some lessons learned that you were able to pull together and it, and it does go back 10 years, but what has the industry done in the last 10 years to make sure that, that the automobile and its 30,000 parts is protected from, um, a 7.1 magnitude, uh, earthquake? What, what changed that you discovered? Well, the first thing that they wanted to do was uh, basically shore up their facilities so that if a another disaster like that happens, or it doesn't even have to be an earthquake, it could be just a fire or an explosion or any kind of a problem, that structural problem, that they could harden their facilities to withstand it. Here in Japan, of course, they rebuilt things to be, withstand bigger earthquakes. They moved some facilities even out of tsunami zones, um, this kind of thing, to prevent a, a, a disaster from happening. Uh, but really what the, the bigger, most, more important things are such as, um, getting better transparency on the supply chain to understand exactly where these parts are coming from and how they flow into the cars. And the supply, the automakers here re- require their tier one and tier two suppliers to provide lists and databases of their suppliers going all the way down to in Toyota's case, they say they can see visibility down to the tier 10 supplier level in some cases. So you can see how deep they're going. And uh, that helps them track um, where, they're, where they're being hit and helps them prepare better because they can see what vehicles and what nameplates of production will be hit and what lines will be hit. So it may not be able to prevent the shortage, but it helps them react more quickly. You mentioned Renaissance uh, earlier as um, as a company that went through um, its own share of struggles about ten years ago. What did how did they handle the situation this time? Well, this time it wasn't as severe. They uh, didn't have a major it, 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 interruption. Their plant was 
uh, knocked offline. They had to uh, go back and to inspect everything. They were down for a couple of days, and it took them about a week to get back up to full capacity. But that's you know a far cry from how it was back in 2011 when the the clean room was like trashed, and it took them uh, you know weeks and months to get back up to full capacity. Um, and that 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 shaking was a big, uh, very very uh, very traumatic compared to the latest quake. I mean, this latest quake, this, despite how um, small it was in comparison to 2011, was still pretty big. It was a 7.0, I think it was 7.1 magnitude, and um, it had a small tsunami, but it was measured only in centimeters, not in tens of meters. And, uh, you know, instead of nearly 20,000 people dying, there were only, um, you know, hundreds of people injured. So it was much, um, uh, you know, the magnitude of, of disaster was much less, but still, um, you know, it, it caused Renaissance to go down a little bit. But more importantly, there was another plant that was um, the Hitachi Astimo plant making suspensions. And it was uh, offline for about mm, about a week or so. And that caused, again, just like back in 2011, a bunch of automakers to suspend operation because they couldn't get the parts they needed. And that affected both uh, Toyota and uh, Nissan. We'll hear more from Automotive News Tokyo Bureau Chief, Hans Greimel, after this message. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Hans, when we, when we look at what the industry has learned and maybe how it's applying some of its lessons here over the last 10 years, there's, there's certainly a theme that, that shines brightly, especially this year, in that the smallest part can knock an entire industry offline. Semiconductors have been such an enormous focus, and we, we've we've had some folks on the program talk about that. Give us a semiconductor update, if you will, perhaps even related or unrelated to the quake, and what you see changing over the course of the next year. Well, I think that uh, there will be a bad scramble to get as many uh, as, as uh, many semiconductors as possible. I mean. We're talking to suppliers here that when this current supply, this uh, current semiconductor shortage hit, they were basically um, racing against each and every competitor 
to find chips that were, you know, th- th- there was only a, a finite number of chips in existence around the world when when the, the plants couldn't make any more. So they were basically arbitraging it and uh, racing against each other to intercept ship tra- uh, ship tra- transports of these uh, chips that were being sent around the world. If something was in transport, they were thinking, well, well, how can we divert that that shipment to a plant where we need them most? They might have been going, let's say, to a plant in South America, but they need it more urgently in a, a bigger market like North America. So they try to arrange for these shipments to be diverted like that. That's one strategy. Um, Toyota, famously at their most recent earnings conference, uh, and uh, in February, said that they were um, they had succeeded in avoiding any impact so far from the chip shortage because they had stocked up on one month to four month supply of chips, and that's something that's like complete anathema to Toyota and a lot of the Japanese way of manufacturing with this just in time uh, ethos that they have here. You know, you never want to stock up on the month's worth of supplies of a, of a certain um, part because that's just wasted space and wasted money on on storage. But in Toyota's case, uh, they, from their previous experience in the quake, saw the, the necessity of stocking up a little bit more on key components or so-called at-risk components. And in this case, they, uh, they picked the right one and they got they got, uh, as we so far through this uh, chip crisis with minimal impact, um, you know, their, their crowing was a little bit premature because uh, just three days after they uh, made that announcement and, and talked about how resistant they were to this um, this chip shortage, that's when the latest earthquake hit in Japan and uh, triggering new um, part shortages here domestically. They had to shut down. Um, some operations uh, across the country. So <laughs> I think that the the key lesson and takeaway here is that you can't prepare for everything, that um, no, no matter how well you prepare, you can mitigate or uh, the, the impact, but it's hard to avoid the impact altogether. What will you be watching going forward, Hans? I mean, this obviously... Um, this situation in multiple ways is critical. Uh, it's critical to production going forward, and there's some real lessons learned. Uh, many of those lessons you write about in Monday's paper of Automotive News. But what, do you, what are you going to be watching in the next three to six months? Well, I think that one of the key things to be watching here is, is the difference between this chip shortage and the traditional kind of um, supply interruption that we see triggered by a disaster or what, something that's within the, the automaker's control. What I hear automakers complaining about is that this chip disaster or chip shortage, sorry, is is out of their control. No matter um, what they do, they, they really can't speed the the um, the recovery here. If it's an earthquake where a plant, a supplier plant, is damaged here, they have very good processes in place for sending in extra workers to help clear out the debris to help. We set up the machinery to get things up and running again. That's um, that's something within their control. They can throw time, money, and people at that. But um, when you are uh, dealing with a chip chip uh, chip shortage in an industry that's foreign or outside of your expertise, 
or really kind of uh, down the supply chain that far, it's hard for them to um, uh, to get a handle on it. They, they just feel helpless. And so I think what you should be watching for in the, in the future is um, how they coordinate better with chip makers, how they maybe stock up on chips, how they maybe work out better deals to um, work more closely with chip makers uh, in the future to as maybe even as a as an industry they they pull together and try to um uh muscle in and um and get more leverage for the auto industry over the electronics industry for example because this isn't just a one uh this doesn't just affect one automaker it affects them all it's kind of an industry wide problem so i can see perhaps the industry coming together and um uh, trying to secure supplies that might have been, uh, you know, that are competitive with other industries such as consumer electronics. Hans Grandma, we thank you so much for your time. I know you'll be watching this uh, quite closely for us, and we appreciate you sharing your own thoughts. My pleasure. Yes. Uh, well, well, let's hope. Uh, let's hope there's not another big disaster here in Japan or other wor- worldwide, and. Um, Uh, Hopefully, we'll get through this chip crisis as soon as possible. Well said. Thank you, Hans. Thank you. We reached Hans Grimel in Tokyo. And that's Daily Drive for Thursday, March 4th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of more than 250 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. We'll be back Friday.